0: What's up, accelerators. Welcome to normalize it the show where we speak about and explore the business of disability, inclusion and accessibility. I'm your host, Cam Baudouin and on each episode, I'll be interviewing leaders, professionals, and people with lived experiences, and we'll be discussing the challenges, successes, and strategies on how to make this world a more inclusive place. As you know, many organizations are still trying to figure out disability inclusion through a trial and error method. That's inefficient. Stick around to the end of the show to find out how we can fix that so whether you're an advocate entrepreneur business owner stakeholder vp or just someone who's interested in the world of disability inclusion this show is for you let's dive into it
1: i'm really excited to be here today because as we've been talking about cam we realize that diversity needs to be more than just what we can see totally and Let's be honest, what we can see is race and ethnicity, um, or at least what we perceive to be someone's race and ethnicity, but the diversity and inclusion conversation needs to move far beyond that to include accessibility in a wide range of areas.
0: Yeah, definitely. The big thing that comes to my mind is invisible disabilities, people with neurodivergence, uh, mental health issues, or things like that. Can I start there? Like, what are your thoughts around that? Like, where do we get started in in that?
1: Absolutely. Um, I think neurodiversity really started as a conversation regarding autism or ADHD or different, you know, officially diagnosable conditions, right? Mm -hmm. Things that we can say that we have ADD, ADHD, OCD, autism. But I think if we really dig deeper, we can see that neurodivergence comes out of lived experiences. And mm. anybody who's had a lived experience that might be different or unique can create a neurodivergent perspective of thinking. So, for example, people that have PTSD
2: mm-hmm.
1: or people that have had traumatic things happen to them you know, all of these create a unique perspective through which we view the world, which then would become, I guess, neurodiverse. Mm-hmm. And if you look up the official definition of neurodiversity on dictionary.com,
2: yeah,
1: you'll see that it actually notes that neurodivergence is within the normal range of human behaviors. We recognize that as humans, we all have different unique ways of thinking. We all have lived experiences that can showcase a way of thinking that others might not I guess, jump to whenever yep. they're having a thought pr- pattern. And that all goes to things that we ourselves have experienced that make us individual, that make us unique, that make mm-hmm. us distinctive.
0: See, I'm thinking of things like trauma. A couple of weeks ago, I had someone speaking about trauma on the show here. And that all has to play into it as well, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, obviously, if I have a traumatic experience and I relive that experience, there's going to be a certain point in my life where I'm not able to operate you know, in, in a way that like maybe everyone else could or would because they don't have those lived experiences. Is that kind of what we're getting at?
1: Exactly. I mean, yeah. for me, for me personally, one thing that is a result of my uh, PTSD and past lived experiences is, that, is I cannot stand when someone points at me. Okay. That's a very, to me, it's, it's very invasive. It's mm-hmm. very aggressive. It, it's someone kind of all of a sudden in, injecting themselves into my space. And yet pointing is something we do all the time when we are right. talking. you know, oh, we point over here. We point over there. Oh, you, you know. But I think you keep in mind that people have lived experiences of which you have no knowledge. You know, making mm-hmm. those type of sudden and aggressive movements could be triggering for someone. Sure, so sure. One small example
0: yeah yeah you know and when you're saying that i keep hearing this excuse that people are giving in the world these days of oh you're just too sensitive maybe you either heard that before or are i have experienced that before like uh, I hate that. Like, I hate that that term. Um, you know, you're overly sensitive. You're, it's, it's too much when really we should be thinking about, you know, maybe there is an experience that's going on here. Right. Like maybe maybe they just have, you know, uh, like you said, different, like lived experience than than I have. And that's that's not OK to to, to bring that up. Right.
1: I think sensitivity begets compassion. How can uh, yeah. you- how can you have compassion and empathy for someone if you're not sensitive toward their needs, right? So right. when someone says to me, "I'm too sensitive," which trust me, I hear a lot, yeah, if I'm not sensitive, then wouldn't I not be able to have compassion or empathy for those around me that are you know going through struggles that i don't that I don't understand or know mm-hmm. about, or you know wouldn't it hinder my ability to relate to other people who are within my own inv- invisible disability community?
0: Mm-hmm. so how do your Lived experiences and those invisible disabilities play into what you do. Like, how do you leverage that and do what you do today? You host the Remedy EI podcast, which we'll talk about in a moment. Here, tell me more about how everything kind of like comes to a point for you.
1: I think everyone can tell within the first thirty seconds of me talking that I have um, a craniofacial abnormality. It's called hemifacial microsomia, and it's actually the second most common craniofacial abnormality behind the cleft lip and cleft palate. Okay. However, not many doctors know about it. So every time I go to a doctor, the most jarring experience I've had is when someone looked at me and and I was actually at a doctor for my son when he was an infant. He was only like four days old. Mm -hmm. Um, But the doctor looked at me and said, what do you have? And they're, Mm -hmm. they're pointing again, right? What is this? What do you have? I had to explain to him what hemifacial microsomia was and the appointment that was supposed to surround the incident regarding my son, the the issues that he was having, you know, became about my condition. And it's interesting to me that something can be considered common. I mean, hemifacial microsomia affects one in 3,500 births, but, you know, 40 years later, parents and families are still being told what my mother was being told 40 years ago, you know, Hmm. almost 40 years ago. I'm not, not quite at 40 yet, but I'm (laughs) (laughs) so, I mean, this is why uh, one of the ways I advocate is I co-founded a Facebook group for hemifacial microsomia and I run it together with some great admins where we're encouraging parents and families to look past what they're being told to seek out other resources. But that's just the thing. The resources aren't visible, they aren't accessible, and that's where this accessibility piece comes into. Okay. So that's, that's kind of a bigger picture of how I got started. But something happened to me recently, I can actually pinpoint the time exactly. Um, January thirteenth of this year, 2022, at 2:15 2. p.m. I was at the bank and I went up to the line uh, to speak with the teller, and I couldn't understand her. She was wearing two masks, mm-hmm. she had a face shield, and there was a, a partition, so I couldn't understand what she was saying. And I asked her, I said, "You know, I'm I'm sorry. I, I have single-sided deafness. I'm I'm partially deaf. Could you please, you know, either just lower your mask for a second to speak to me so I can read your lips, or can you enunciate what you were saying a little slowly and loudly?" And she said to me, can you read loudly? Can you read? Okay, right. And I was like, I didn't know where this was going. I said, yeah. So she proceeded to write down every question she had for me and hold it up on a notebook hmm. from then on out. She would not communicate with me verbally. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. I left that experience. First of all, humiliated because mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of people in line behind me, you know, and they're huffing and puffing and stomping, you know, shuffling their feet, which I could, I could hear that, <laughs> you know, expressing their, you know, their impatience. Mm-hmm. But I said to myself, this is ridiculous. Like, it is ridiculous that in this day and age, this is how people with deafness in, in the heart of hearing community are being treated.
2: Right.
1: Because if it's right. happening to me in my little tiny town at my little tiny local bank, it's happening to other people, too. Of course, that was the moment for me when I really started thinking to myself that we need to start bridging the mainstream communities with the underserved communities. and. I try to do that with my hemifacial microsomia community. I try to do that with the Facebook group I run for Mm -hmm. breast cancer survivors who are engaging in treatment options at the hospital where I receive treatment. And I'm trying to do that for the deaf and hard of hearing community, but that needs to be happening on a bigger platform. And we need to be rallying with other people that are doing this work and people that want to see diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility from the standpoint of making those connections. So for example, a great way that happened recently was the movie Koga which is on Apple TV. If you haven't caught it yet, it's great. This is uh, your yeah. homework. Assignment. It's so good. It's and so good. You need to go watch Koga. And in the movie Koga, it's about a girl who is hearing and she has two deaf parents and a deaf brother. And Marley Matlin and Troy Kotzer play her parents and Troy Kotzer won an Oscar this past Oscar season for his performance as Best Supporting Actor. And he made a note that Sean Hader, the director, was able to bridge the hard of hearing community with the mainstream hearing community and showcase some of the issues, you know, in this very beautiful and concise way, hour and a half movie, right? And just to show how this is so important and so vital You know, that we need to be making these connections that those of us that are in mainstream communities. So I'm, I'm partially hearing, right. So I consider myself, you know, someone who puts their foot in both in both worlds. You know, I have one foot in the deaf community, but I also have a foot in the hearing community Mm -hmm. and building bridges is vital to achieving understanding and to helping people who don't have access to mainstream communities gain that access
0: there's there's so much here because I think that's how you and I got in touch in the first place, right? We are high communicators and I think that we're on the same kind of mission, right? <laughs> if we don't talk about these things, if we don't use our voices to broadcast not concerns but like broadcast these things, then I think we're doing an injustice to the to the community as a whole. I think that's our job if we have a voice and there's many people who have a voice in in the community. You know, you too can help out by just sharing what you know and sharing your lived experiences with the rest of the world with the rest of mainstream society and that will start to build those bridges to other communities because once they see once people see one person stand up you tend to see more people stand up as well and isn't that the amazing thing you know i've got this story of like my wife she knew she didn't know what accessibility was before i met her but now she says she looks for captions in all the videos and she's like why isn't it, why isn't it there and she is now creating this opinion and this voice on of her own about accessibility and the DEI conversation. And we are now having deeper and like more impactful conversations than we've ever had before because of this type of conversation that we're having right now. So I think the work that you're doing is so valuable. And I really want to hear more about the dei podcast here. Tell me more about that. How did that get started? Uh, what do you share on there? Cause we're going to give a big plug to that, but I got other questions too for you.
1: Of course. So Remedy EI started when I realized that there wasn't a lot of content being created surrounding the invisible disability community. And again, it's about building bridges. Podcasts are a great way to take something mainstream and build a bridge to an underserved community. Right. So what I started doing was posting on LinkedIn. I only started posting on LinkedIn on February 19th. So this is a very new, a new very new thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, where I haven't been spending a lot of time, but I quickly realized that there were other people in this community trying to do the same thing And we could use our voices together to amplify, you know, underrepresented humans. Mm -hmm. So I was kicking around some ideas in my head and I thought to myself, you know, Angela, you had a lot of things in your head that you've wanted to say for years. Mm -hmm. And maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe, just maybe there's an audience for this. So I started recording myself just sharing some thoughts and opinions. And then I realized that I could turn this into a podcast. I could turn this into something that became a weekly staple in a mainstream community you know, to bridge that gap. When I looked at DEI podcasts, I realized there were only two Mm -hmm. that I found. So maybe there's more, but I was only able to find two. And both were in very niche environments. And I felt like talking about DEI more widely would be a benefit, but then bringing it also down to a granular level to how different aspects of diversity, inclusion, and accessibility affect different types of communities. That's kind of how it got started. And I realized, I mean, the feedback I got, I launched... Uh, six episodes at once for the first the first yep. day of, of the launch. And the feedback I was getting was just incredible. And I think I kind of stopped there for a minute and I was like, oh my God, I think I actually do have something that the world needs to hear. You know, I have yeah, something to say yeah. that the world needs to hear, definitely. And that's where sure. I came from.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, you received a comment on one of your episodes that was a bit of a negative comment or a challenging comment, let's say. Tell me more about that.
1: So the comment I got on one of my episodes was... You are a white woman with an advanced degree. Why do you think anyone thinks you have anything to say about diversity, equity, and inclusion? To that I said, I refuse to reactivate my trauma to explain to you why I deserve a seat at the table. Because what was happening was I felt the need to share all of my traumatic labels, if you will. Mm -hmm like, why am I sitting here today? Why do I have a need for bridging the gap between the mainstream community and underserved humans? You know, what are things you you know about me already? I'm queer, I'm deaf, I am neurodiverse. So, I mean, there are more, but Again, that goes into reactivating my trauma. That goes into me pulling from lived experiences that are that are painful, that are pain mm-hmm. points, you know, that are that are difficult for me to have to access again and again and again, just to explain why I'm here and why I want to have this conversation. And that shouldn't be the case. And that's what Remedy EI is about. It's about showing that we have these pain points that can, you know, explain why diversity is necessary, but we shouldn't have to. Instead, it should be of mainstream conversation that's Mm -hmm. happening throughout organizations systemically across all departments, not just HR, which is something I can get into in a minute if you want me to, but it should be happening, you know, organization wide. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. moreover, it should be a way for organizations to come together and have shared conversations and utilize their resources to become, you know, a voice and a way to showcase you know, what they're doing as an organization, that they can then become role models and Mm -hmm. other organizations can utilize what they're doing as a roadmap for their own successes.
0: Yeah. This is something that we preach so much in the accessibility community, isn't it? You know, because that it starts the grassroots movement. And you said it's not only for HR. What do you mean by that?
1: Right now I'm seeing, and especially since uh, George Floyd in particular, I'm seeing that people are housing their diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives under the HR umbrella. Mm -hmm. And I think why that's happening is we're focusing on diversity, talent acquisition and making sure that our organization is checking boxes. Do we have people of color in our organization? Do we have LGBTQ plus and queer people in our organization? Do we have people with disabilities? But I'm here to say that those of us that fall under those categories are not here to check your boxes. Right. That's not why we're here. Mm -hmm. you know, we're here to utilize our lived experiences and unique perspectives to enact change on a global level. We are change agents. We are trailblazers. That's what we're here for. We're not here to check boxes under your HR scope.
0: Yeah, totally. So in your opinion then, and I want to get to more of what you, what you do, right? Like in, in a second here, but how do we start to bring more people to the table? right like how do we invite people to have a seat at the table when we have these types of conversations because if it's not only about hr if it's not a box to check i'm imagining there's lots of companies who feel quite awkward or uncomfortable speaking about this in a lot of scenarios how do we how do we open up that conversation in a very concrete way do you have any any tips for anyone listening
1: i'm actually so glad you asked that because the latest episode of the podcast talks about why accessibility is not a curse word okay this is really about access. So inclusion is really about who are you inviting to the table and who are you not inviting to the table? And I don't think people do it in a conscious way. I think it's very unconscious. So for example, if your website does not have accessibility features, mm-hmm. such as you know unique color variants, where you're ensuring that your color choices are not something that someone with colorblindness would struggle with, or you're ensuring that Um, the clickable areas on your website aren't so small that someone with fine motor skills might have difficulty accessing your website. So these are all things I talk about in that episode, all things, small changes that you can make that really have a large impact, a greater impact on the accessibility community and ensuring that everyone can engage with your content. When you include features that make it difficult for people who have accessibility needs, you're unconsciously, I hope saying this person does not deserve a seat at my table. Right. That like I say build a bigger table, drag <laughs> the table outside. Let's find ways that we can encourage everyone to sit at the table. Also this speaks to not again with with the not checking boxes. Yeah. Yep. We also need to make sure that we're not putting people in boxes right? So you know, that we are building. I, I say, you know, you can't fit me in a box. I build my own box. And this is why, you know, you and I talked about from even a job hunting standpoint. I mean, right. when you and I first started talking, we were talking about job hunting. And I was saying, Cam, you cannot contain me to a cover letter. And I've had so many people say to me within 90 seconds of meeting me, everything I thought we were going to talk about just went out the window because I cannot contain you to a single box. And right. that it really is the beauty of... Of anyone in this in this sphere, that's what we have to offer. You know, people with invisible disabilities, people part of the deaf community. You know, people with um, craniofacial abnormalities mm-hmm. or you know disabilities that you can't always see but affect our lives every day. You cannot put us in a box.
0: I think it's so cool when I start to think of the opportunities that are available out there for businesses who, who are who are even the most remotely creative like if you do anything with design or or thinking outside the box if you if you help encourage and invite to the table or hire people with disabilities i think that people with disabilities are some of the most creative people i've ever met because your whole life is Bound around, you know, uh, how do I creatively solve this problem? Because I need to figure it out. I'm colorblind. You gave an example there. And I thought, you know, can we just stop designing forms that have like just red on them whenever, whenever there's an error state? I've had to creatively figure out how to adjust for my eyesight, not being able to pick up colors in a certain way. And your brain does. Your brain does. You have to think of that creative, think of ways to solve problems in creative ways that's not just bound by color for my situation, that I can figure out like all well, those tones kind of there. That's probably pink or not great. That's a big one. Pink and gray. Uh, I, I I can't stand pink and gray.
1: So this just happened prior to us getting on the show together. So I'm not going to mention this person by name because I I wasn't able to get her permission in the, yeah, in the yeah. 30 seconds. I read this before the show, but I just wrote a LinkedIn post where I talked about why this has been a rough week for me. I found out this week that, well, actually I found out last week, but I'm, I'm still processing. I am now missing. So even though I have single sided deafness on my right side, my, my, Good ear, my left ear is now missing um, 50% of the speech frequencies that I hear every day. So I can hear low pitch sounds really well. I can hear high pitch sounds really well. But the speech frequencies, um, I'm missing about 50% of those roughly. And that's mm-hmm. why. I find myself always needing to ask people to repeat themselves. Okay. The audiologist gave me some great news. She said for this incident because you know hearing aids aren't going to help me on the right side, okay. but for this incident a hearing aid would actually be really beneficial. Great, that's fantastic. Well, I found out that my health insurance covers exactly 0% oh boy. Okay, yeah. of assistive hearing technology. So I wrote a post about this and someone who's become really dear to me on LinkedIn posted that she has the same situation going on. And she uh, went to Harbor Freight, which is a hardware store, yep. and she found an amplifier. Okay. And for $50, she was able, actually less than $50, with headphones and an amplifier, she was able to solve most of her problem. Oh, cool. By utilizing an amplifier from the hardware store, a pair of headphones, and now she hears um, speech frequencies really well. So I'm so glad you brought up how people with disabilities can think outside of the box, because that is just a gem of an example of how someone with you know a hearing disability took the parameters that they were operating from within thanks to the fact that insurance wouldn't cover a hearing aid for them also yep. and turned this into a situation where she solved her own problem and what does that illustrate about how people like us you know people in this community can really do some unique things for organizations by thinking outside the box
0: yeah yeah definitely and and what always strikes me is that there are so many so many people out there who um, are hiding also their disability as well in their workplace. I, well, I'll give an example for me when I used to sell jewelry back in my early 20s, I couldn't tell the difference between a sapphire and a ruby and it was, you know, <laughs> it was it's funny now. I still can't tell the difference between poker chips, but that's maybe a different story too. My friends have a gas at that. But we we make do. We make do and we cover it up now and I think there's even a lot more idea of it's okay to talk about it too. I think it's it's like the world Hopefully, from my point of view, is becoming more accepting of of the conversation around that. I mean, even when people apply for jobs, we're seeing you know um, self uh, self attestations uh, of uh, disabilities. If if you have a disability, you can declare it uh, before having a job. Now, there are plus and minuses to have that. Do you really want your employer to know that you have a disability? Are you excluding yourself from the job pool because you declare it? But I think that that's a good way to like. I think it's an important step towards that that. Uh, uh future conversations around that
1: that's something really difficult that i Mm struggle with also um i used to hide my deafness so for example when i was in elementary school and we did hearing tests i learned how to beat the hearing test okay of course i'm gonna fail it every time sure But what i learned was and this was at seven years old so again this is showing how we think outside of the box from a very young age when we have a disability and we have to adapt
2: Mm
1: -hmm. i learned from a very young age that Whenever the nurse would administer the hearing test, she would look down briefly before pushing the button. Okay. So I would see her <laughs> eyes look down. I would wait a beat, and then I would raise my hand. That mm-hmm. I heard the beep. I think I failed the first, maybe one or two hearing tests, but after that, I passed every single one, one hundred percent. Oh I
2: wow! How to yeah. beat the system? Yeah.
1: And I think that shows that you know, it's easier for us. We learn from a very young age that it's easier to blend in than to stand out. Yep. I always ask people, when is the first time you've seen yourself represented in a movie? You know, you're a cisgendered white male. You've been seeing yourself represented in movies from the beginning of time. From the right?
0: beginning of time. Yep.
1: The first time I saw myself with, as someone with a craniofacial abnormality represented in a movie was 2017's Wonder. So yeah. I was 35 yeah. years old, the first time I saw myself represented in a movie. And I mean, I love that movie. It's it's beautiful. It's got such a beautiful message, but unfortunately that's not how, you know, people with invisible disabilities have probably right. experienced their childhoods.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, that also speaks to why this is so necessary. As someone who is deaf, I mean, CODA was instrumental in allowing myself to be seen you know, in a movie, and you know your your wife's experiences in understanding what accessibility means also mirror my wife's experiences in understanding that. So, for example, we watch TV with captions on all the time because the I, time. Need the ca- I need the captions oh, yeah. to be able to understand what's going on. Is it an area of frustration? Yes, because sometimes when those captions come on cam, they're like two inches high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And I just want to be like, I'm not blind, I'm just deaf. And Amazon was the first organization to allow you to choose That's right. the size of your caption, the yep. color of the caption itself, the color of the background box, you know? And when that first came out on Prime Video, I was super excited. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, finally.
0: And then you're like, everyone's going to copy that. Soon it's going to be on Netflix and soon it's going to be on YouTube and... Hello. Still waiting for Netflix and YouTube no, to get that no, together. No, they are. Let's let's switch gears here because I want to know more about what you bring to companies, right? So, if someone's going to pay you money to do something for them, what do you do? How can uh, how can they you know get in touch with you? Let's talk about that for a bit.
1: So right now, um, I do have a consulting service, Remedy EI Consulting, and mm-hmm. one of the ways I'm helping organizations currently is I'm looking at what they currently offer, especially along curriculum or training capabilities, exactly. and then we're we're looking at how we can infuse that with a greater understanding of diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. So for example, one of the projects I'm working on right now is with Neuromaker STEM, and which is a phenomenal company, by the way. I love Neuromaker STEM. I love what they're doing and the way they're trying to increase access for educators. One of the things that we're, we're doing together is we're looking at how can we help science educators teach to their audience? Because as you're probably aware, the majority of American teachers are white women. Mm-hmm. So- what we're trying to do is encourage teachers to teach to their audience where, you know, you have a greater population of biracial children. So Mm -hmm. from 2019, I'm sorry, from 2009, to 2018, the number of biracial children or children who subscribe to more than two races has risen from one to four percent. And even though that sounds like a really small number, that's actually a pretty, a pretty large leap.
0: Yeah, it's doubled so, twice. So oh, yeah, I know my kids, my kids have Filipino and you know, here, I'm gonna interject and just say something really interesting in his school. All the mixed kids. Are all friends with each other? What a weird realization! Like it's it's like he has got friends, and I'm like, oh, these are
1: all mixed kids. Like
0: it's 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 what it's, it's just uh, one of those things. Anyway,
1: it's because we can relate. It's because yeah, they can relate. Yeah, 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 people yeah. With invis- invisible disabilities, we gravitate toward one another because we can relate. So what we're doing with this course is we're showcasing scientists that fit into other areas of diversity. So for example, we're showcasing gender queer scientists, um, scientists who have, you know, hearing deficits or um, seeing deficits, you know, so finding a way to show students that these people exist by first educating the teachers that teach them. Yep, That's one thing that, you know, I, I do as a consultant. That's one area where I really try to increase some visibility. That goes back to the title of our talk today. It's a way to make accessibility which is the invisible, visible, Mm -hmm. because most of us with invisible disabilities, it's not things you can readily see. I don't have a wheelchair that I'm utilizing or a motorized scooter or a cane. So therefore, I need to make my invisible disability as visible as possible. That way the fact that I'm seeking needs doesn't become something that, you know, is is confusing or, you know, something that people would wonder, you know, why does she need, you know, an accommodation?
0: If someone's a teacher, if someone's in education, what are some easy wins that they can point towards? Where do we look?
1: So the first thing we can talk about in education is doing what we already do for our ESOL students, which is students who are learning English as a second language. Okay. When we talk about accommodations for ESOL students. We talk about using a lot of visuals. Yep. We talk about using um, hand signs and body language, and we talk about simplistic, repetitive phrases. Okay. So for example, um, anytime you ask the students to clean up, you can use the same phrase. Okay, friends, now it's time to clean up so that we can move on to our next great thing. And finding a way to say that same thing every single time you clean up, that's what we do for our ESOL students because okay. they, may, they begin to learn that phrase to mean a specific thing so they take something abstract a phrase and they apply it to being something concrete and that's one thing we can do for accessibility we can use the same hand signals and i'm not talking about american sign language although if you didn't know this american sign language is actually the third most common language in the united states oh. behind english and spanish oh i didn't know that <laughs> i learned that a couple of weeks ago and I, I my mind was blown because i had no mm-hmm. idea giving them the ability to take abstract concepts and and apply it to something concrete. So taking those hand signs and hand signals and body motions, you know, the, the ways that we communicate that aren't speaking and then applying them to a concrete situation that really helps with accessibility. Also having captions, if you ever show videos, please have captions for your students. Mm -hmm. If they don't have captions, then please, before the students see the video, watch the video yourself, transcribe some of the most important details and have them up on the screen next to the video as it's playing. Mm If this is something that you're unable to do and you can transcribe the entire video and then print it out on, you know, high resolution text with, you know, great contrasting black and white, you know, colors in in visible font, you know, um, give it to your students and give it out to everybody. Please don't say who would like a a transcription packet. Right, right. Then that forces people to identify themselves as needing something, just give it to everyone, just do it for everybody. And as teachers, this is something we always do. Everything we do in the classroom, we usually do it for everybody. One. Don't only provide access to certain people, the people that you assume would need it. Please don't make assumptions because you never know who's operating from a standpoint of mm-hmm. a different ability.
0: First off, I love this conversation. This is so great. Uh, The uh, whole idea of building bridges between the mainstream and underserved communities and stuff like that is just so fantastic. Where do people find you? How do they work with you? Tell me more about that. Where where do we go next?
1: You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm Angela Young, uh, EDD on LinkedIn. You can also find me at Remed. RemedyEI, so R-E-M-E-D-E-I pod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. You can also find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. So you can find me all of those ways. And I would love to continue this conversation with anyone. So please reach out via email. Cam, I give you permission. If anyone wants my information directly, they can have it. So you can share that with them as well. But yeah, I'm really, this is something I'm really excited about. And I would love to talk to you further. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Cam. I really appreciate it. This has been an honor.
0: Wasn't that a great episode? You probably have lots of new ideas swirling through your head right now. Now, how are you going to go and teach that to your boss, your team, or your clients, you need a strategy to move forward. Contact me today. Hi at cambeaudway.com and let's talk about how we can move this forward in your organization or individual practice. If you could right now like, and subscribe to this show, it really does help grow our reach to get more people involved and interested in disability inclusion and making the world a more inclusive place. And don't forget, you can also watch this show live on LinkedIn. Just find me there. It's every Friday at noon Eastern. See you next week.